following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know Him and make Him known. I'm going to put a picture up on the screen. Some of you know what this is. Some of you are familiar with this. Some of you may not be. This is a Sudoku puzzle. Okay, it's, you're supposed to be smart and figure it out, right? But some of you, if you've, if, if you've never done this, if you've never looked at this, if, or maybe you've seen these somewhere and you're like, I don't know, I've never tried it, it looks weird, right? It, it does look weird. If you look at that and go, well, I don't know what to do there. And, and if you're in that boat, even if I show you a completed one like this, you still look at it and go, that just looks like a bunch of numbers up on a page. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. But the reality is, this puzzle, this kind of thing is actually very simple. It may not be simple to solve all the time, but the concept is very simple. You have numbers one through nine, and you can have one of each number in each row, row across, column up and down, and in each one of the nine squares within the bigger square. All right, so that's not that hard. You can figure that out. And so now if you hear that, you go, okay, I can, I can pick through. If I go through you know, this column all the way on, on the left, I can see that each one of those numbers is in there only once going down. And you can track that, right? Why? Because now you know how it works. Sometimes we look at things in our lives and it just seems like a jumbled mess because we fail to grasp how it is working together. We fail to grasp why it works in the first place. We've been talking in Genesis 26, we talked last week about how God provides his provision and his protection, these blessings that we have from him. But still, when we talk about God's blessings, sometimes we don't understand how it all works together and we miss the the parameters of what he's doing. But once we start to grasp what God is doing, there, there tends to be this aha moment. Not always, but it helps us understand that. And so we look at last week as God provided his provision, his protection for Isaac. And we ask, well, why did God do that? In other words, why do God's blessings look the way they do instead of the way Isaac may have wanted them? And when we think about God's blessings in our lives, sometimes we're left wondering, okay, God, if this is a blessing from you, why does it look this way instead of this way that I wanted it to look? Today's passage is gonna help us see why God blesses Isaac the way he does and why God blesses us the way he does. And it helps us appreciate the depth of God's work. And it encourages us to grasp not the blessings we hoped for, but the blessings that God offers. And so the first we're gonna see here is that God blesses at his discretion. God blesses at his discretion. Genesis chapter 26, verses 12 through 16. says, Isaac sowed seed in that land. Well, hold on, stop a second. Where's that land? We talked last week, this is Gerar. This is the, the home of the Philistines. This is where Isaac is. He's been driven by the famine. God sends him, says, stay in Gerar. So he stays there. Isaac sowed seed in that land. And in that year, he reaped a hundred times what was sown. The Lord blessed him. 
And the man became rich and kept getting richer until he was very wealthy. He had flocks of sheep, herds of cattle, and many slaves. And the Philistines were envious of him. Philistines stopped up all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of his father Abraham, filling them with dirt. And Abimelech said to Isaac, leave us, for you are much too powerful for us. God blesses at his discretion. And these verses, starting off this story that we're hearing of, of Isaac, shows how God blesses Isaac in Gerar. And it starts with, with his crops. It says, first, he, he sowed a harvest of a hundred times what has been sown. And this is an unheard of harvest in his day. It was fruitful to be sure. One that was not because Isaac was a great farmer. This could only have been done by God's incredible blessing. In verse 13, in fact, it says that this blessing in the, in the Hebrew, I like the way that the Hebrew says it. If we literally translate the Hebrew here in verse 13, it says, the man became great and he continually became greater until he was very great. Anybody want to guess the emphasis in that statement? <laughs> great. <laughs> he was great and he became greater until he was very great. Yeah. God's blessing is doing incredible things. And Isaac, and his greatness that became greater and became very great in his life is then described in the following verses. It says, not only did he reap an incredible harvest, but his flocks and his herds and his entire household was blessed and grew and was successful. And as a result, the Philistines became jealous of him. And Abimelech, the king, asks Isaac to move on says, listen, you, you're becoming too powerful in this land. Please move on. God blesses at his discretion. This man who was great becomes greater until he's very great. Do you remember how he approached Abimelech in this land that he's in? From last week, remember, what did he do? He lied. He approached the king in deception, with dishonesty. Let me ask you this. Is, dishonest, is dishonesty a virtue of God-honoring faith? Anybody want to say yes? No. No, it's not. Well, if this deception that Isaac approached Abimelech with is not a virtue of God-honoring faith, does Isaac deserve to be blessed by God in Gerar? Does he deserve it? No. Absolutely not. Nothing Isaac has done deserves to be blessed by God. But the thing is, God doesn't bless Isaac's crops, flocks, herds, and his house because Isaac has earned it. God blesses Isaac because he's working out his plan of salvation for his people. God is at work at his mission for his purpose, for what he's doing. Let's say you, you work for a big company, national conglomeration. You've worked hard. You've had a good year. The boss is way up high. You know, the bosses who live in, I don't know, New York or LA or wherever they live. They give you a bonus. So we had a great year as a company. We want you to have this bonus. Do you deserve that bonus? Some of you are going to be like, yeah, I deserve it. No, you don't. That's why it's a bonus. You don't deserve it. You agreed to work for them and do your work for a salary for a certain pay. And they gave you that. 
That's what you deserve. The bonus is undeserved. But let me also ask you this. That boss who lives in New York or LA, who doesn't know you from anybody else, do they give that to you because they think you're a really nice person and that you really deserve the bonus? No. Why do they do it? Because they think it's going to maybe boost morale. It's going to help the company to continue to do well. It's going to make you loyal to them as a company. It's not about you. It's about the company. Now, God's not using you, but all of God's blessings are not about you. They're about him, about his plans, about his purposes. It's what he is doing. In Romans 6, verse 17 and 18, it says, Thank God that although you used to be slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. He says, Paul here writing says, Thank God that he has done for you what you don't deserve. He says, You were enslaved to sin. You had given yourself over to that pattern, the ways of the world, that deception, that lostness. But then he says what? You have been set free. One thing to notice in that, okay? Literary nerds, anybody with me? Is that active or passive? It's passive, meaning you didn't do it. You didn't earn your freedom. You're not good enough to be set free. No, God sets you free by his grace, his mercy, his love. He's given you the blessing, not because you've earned it, but because he wants to bless you so that you can live, serve, work in the way that points back to who he is, to what he's doing. You and I deserve death, right? You and I, if we're gonna say, hey, I want what I deserve, you and I deserve death because we sin. We are imperfect people before a perfect God. But God has set us free. Not because we're obedient, but so that we could be obedient. And here's the thing. God may choose to bless you in this life with success in this this world, right? God may choose to bless you. And listen, if he has, thank him for that. That's awesome. Congratulations, like enjoy that blessing that God has given you. But never think that you are blessed or that God is doing a work in you because you are so good. Always see God's blessings for what they are. They are a display of God's power, a display of his glory and a display of his goodness towards his children. That means that sometimes when God blesses us at his discretion for his purposes, he might bless us in ways we didn't ask him to bless us. He's going to show his wisdom, how he knows more than we know by blessing us in ways we didn't ask for. He may bless us in ways we don't want to be blessed, showing his sovereignty over every situation in every corner of human existence. And he's going to bless you and you'll be like, yeah, can I have a different one? Right? Can, I send, can I return it? Get the return receipt or something? God may choose to bless us and God may choose to bless others in ways we don't think they deserve to be blessed. Revealing his love for his children, for his creation. 
Because we're going to go, wait a second, that, that person's not good. That person's not nice. That person doesn't follow Jesus. How come good things happen to them? God's blessing them to show them who he is, to give them the opportunity to repent and come to him. God's blessings may not make sense to us on the surface. He may bless us with great success in this life. He may not. But we understand that every blessing of God is not because of who we are, because of our goodness, our righteousness, it is because of who he is. And every blessing is given at his discretion. The question is, do we accept God's blessings? Uh, God's blessings on our lives and God's blessings on the lives of those around us as his divine choice and by his divine application. God's blessings are his discretion. He chooses when to bless. He chooses how to bless. And that leads us to number two. God blesses at his discretion, but also God blesses in his timing. God blesses in his timing. Look at verses 27 now, or 17 through 25. It says, so Isaac left there. Remember, Abimelech came to him and said, listen, you're too powerful. Would you please leave Gerar? So Isaac left there, camped in the Gerar Valley and lived there. I love this because Abimelech says, hey, leave Gerar. And so he goes to the Gerar Valley, which is very close by, right? He doesn't like go across the world. He's like, okay, I'll leave. And he takes like five steps over and he's like, how's this? So Isaac left there, camped in the Gerar Valley and lived there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the days of his father, Abraham, and that the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham had died. He gave them the same names his father had given them. Then Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well, uh, a well of spring water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, the water is ours. So he named the well Essek because they argued with him. Then they dug another well and quarreled over that one. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another and they did not quarrel over it. He named it Rehoboth and said, for now the Lord has made space for us and we will be fruitful in the land. From there, he went up to Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him that night and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your offspring because of my servant, Abraham. So he built an altar there, called on the name of the Lord, pitched his tent there. Isaac's servants also dug a well there. Okay, God blesses in his timing. Again, the, the, the jealousy of the Philistines has led them to try to intervene and disrupt Isaac's blessing. Right? He's had success with his flocks, with his herds, with his crops. They're trying to fill in these wells that he dug so he doesn't have access to water. They're trying to stop the blessing that God has given. And through this, Isaac just follows Abraham's journey when Abraham was in here. And we talked about this again last week, that there was a famine in Abraham's time that sent him to the same area. But Isaac follows his father's, in his father's footsteps through the area, redigging all the wells that his father had dug and renaming them with the same names that Abraham had given to them. And finally, in Beersheba, God appears to him and encourages Isaac and, and reiterates the blessing that he has told to Isaac several times. That blessing that he first gave to his father, Abraham. He says, listen, I am God. 
I've made this promise. I will come through. I will take care of you and I won't leave you. So Isaac worships there. He builds an altar. He calls on the name of the Lord, which means he worshiped God there. And he also digs a well. And while there's this constant fighting everywhere Isaac goes, God blesses him at just the right time, every step of the way. He does it with his presence and he does it with wells. And everywhere Isaac goes, he digs a well and he finds water. He finds the water necessary to to provide for him, to prosper him. God takes care of him at just the right time. Now, it'd be really easy for us to read this passage and to fall into some false prosperity type gospel, wouldn't it? Right? Isaac, he prayed to God, he worshiped God, he followed God. God gave him success everywhere he goes. If you'll just love Jesus and follow him, he'll give you success in everything, right? Just like Isaac. No, there's a problem with that. It's called the Bible. If you read it, you understand why that's problematic. Because we can never forget that although God will always faithfully supply our needs, that doesn't mean he'll give us success at the thing that's right in front of us. God blesses Isaac immediately. Even so, he's reminding Isaac in this that there is a greater blessing that lay ahead. One that Isaac would have to wait for, right? Because God says, listen, I'm not going to leave you. Remember what I promised your father. I'm going to multiply your family. You're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Is that, is that happened right here? No. God's given him a start. But God says, listen, I'm, I'm giving you success here, but know that the true blessing that I have in store for you is way down the road. And you're gonna have to wait to see it. In fact, Isaac, I don't think Isaac knows this yet. I don't think he truly grasps this yet, but Isaac's never gonna see that blessing because it's gonna be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But God says, you're gonna gonna have to wait for the true blessing. And this seems to be the norm in scripture. If you study through the biblical characters, what you'll find is that yes, some people have this immediate success right in front of them. But more often than not, there is a waiting period. God says, I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna take care of you. Now you need to wait for it. Watch what this happens, right? Remember how long Abraham waited for the blessing of Isaac? 25 years. He was 75 years old when God said, I'm gonna give you a son. And he was 100 years old before Isaac was born. God says, you're gonna have to wait. Remember the story of Hannah who waited for her child? Hannah in, in 1 Samuel 1, she's had all these, pro- she, she, she hasn't been able to have a child and she desperately wants to have a child. And in 1 Samuel 1, verse 6 through 7, it says, her rival, her rival here is her husband's other wife. Her rival would taunt her severely just to provoke her because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Year after year, she went up to the Lord's house. Her rival taunted her in this way. Hannah would weep and would not eat. You hear it? Year after year. 
year after year. She prays to God. She has this desire and God seemingly doesn't answer until finally in her despair, she's at the temple, right? She's praying and Samuel sees her. He's like, she's praying so hard. She must be drunk. Like nobody in their right mind prays like that. Think of the intensity of a prayer that convinces the priest that she's drunk. And he says, you come back next year at this time. You will conceive. And she has her child. Remember in Luke chapter two, there's a man named Simeon who wanted to see the Messiah, who wanted to see God do his work. Do you remember how God made him wait? Luke chapter two, verse 25 through 26 says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. And after he sees Jesus in verse 29, Simeon responds, he says, now master, you can dismiss your servant in peace. We don't know how old Simeon is. We don't get any indication as to exactly how long he waited, but the language he uses here makes it very clear that he has waited years because he says, God, now you can release your servant in peace. It's almost like he says, I I was ready to go for so long, but you promised I would see the Messiah and I was holding on. And now I can go in peace. He had to wait. God told him he would see the Messiah. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And yet he had to wait. God doesn't always answer our prayers and our hopes and our dreams with success in the moment that we want it. That doesn't mean that he's not being faithful. That prayer, that hope, that dream, I may just have to wait. That may not even be what God's blessing is for us. God may say, I want you to shelve this because I've got something better for you. Because the reality is whenever God's blessing comes, it may not be what we expect and it certainly may not be when we expect it. But the question is, will we trust God enough? Will we trust him enough to trust in his timing for his blessing? Do we trust him enough that his timing for his blessing is what is absolutely perfect? Even when it's not when we want it. I wish I could tell you every time I really prayed hard for something and I said, God, I'm sure this is what you want. I got it like that. God just answered because I'm a great prayer like that. That has not been my experience in life. And when God has put those things on hold, he has always been faithful to provide what I need when I need it. God's blessings are at his discretion and in his timing. And this culminates in the end of this passage where we see that God blesses for his glory. God blesses at his discretion and in his timing for his glory. In verses 26 through 33, we we end this passage. It says, now Abimelech came to him from from Gerar with Ahuzeth, his advisor, and Fecal, the commander of his army. Isaac said to them, why have you come to me? 
You hated me and sent me away from you. They replied, we've clearly seen the Lord has been with you. We think there should be an oath between two parties, between us and you. Let us make a covenant with you. You will not harm us just as we have not harmed you, but have done only what is good to you, sending you away in peace. You are now blessed by the Lord. So he prepared a banquet for them and they ate and drank. They got up early in the morning and swore an oath to each other. Isaac sent them on their way and they left him in peace. On that same day, Isaac's servants came to him about the well they had dug saying to him, we have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is still Beersheba today. God blesses for his glory. Abimelech right, comes and, and approaches Isaac and offers this covenant of peace. We don't have time to get into all of the details of what he says, but I think it's hilarious. Like, honestly, I think Abimelech's speech is hilarious. Because remember, he said, hey, we don't like the fact that you're being so successful here in our town. Just go away, right? Leave. People are jealous, leave. And he's like, then he comes now. He's like, oh, you're, you're powerful. Things are going well. Maybe there should be a covenant. We haven't harmed you. When you become powerful, don't, don't harm us. It, it's just so ridiculous that he's trying to play like, I'm the one who has taken care of you. Knowing all the while that it's not he who has taken care of Isaac. Who is it? It's the Lord. And he knows this because God's blessing is evident in Isaac's life. Look at verse 28. He says, we have clearly seen how the Lord has been with you. And at the end of verse 29, he says, you are now blessed by the Lord. See, so even God's goodness is evident even to the arguably godless Abimelech. Even Abimelech can see God's blessing at work. And it's very clear to him. Anybody ever seen a tornado in person? Anybody ever seen a tornado, like real life? I have. It's crazy. Right? If you see a tornado coming, you look and the sky turns like a weird greenish color. And then the funnel cloud comes. And then the tornado forms and it reaches down. And you can see debris flying everywhere. And if you ever saw a, a tornado in person, anybody think like, I've never seen a tornado before. I should see how close I can get and really try to feel its power. No, you run, you hide. Why? Because the destructive power is evident. You don't need more evidence than what you see right there. This is what Abimelech sees in Isaac. Not a destructive power, but a power of God's blessing. He says, it is very clear, very clear that you're blessed. Like God is doing something that we can't explain from our side of the table we're afraid. <laughs> we need this covenant. And Isaac says, you know what? Fine. Let's make the covenant. And on the day of the covenant, his, his uh, servants come to him and they say, hey, we've, we've struck water with this latest well that we dug. Right? This well that they dug in Beersheba. And so Isaac says, we found water in Beersheba. And then he names the town Beersheba. He renames it just as his father had named it. Why do you think he did that? Why do you think Isaac renamed all the wells the same names his father had given them? That seems like a weird thing to do, doesn't it? Like, do you really need to name it 
if it already has a name? Anybody got teenage kids that you're going to rename with the exact same name you gave them at birth? No. Why does he do this? Because he understands that these wells are a sign of God's blessing. He says, just as God took care of my father, continued to bless him through the promises that he had made, God has continued to be with me and bless me in the promises that he has made. Renaming the wells was not a celebration of the success of his digging. It was about remembering God's glorious provision and protection for his name's sake, for his glory. See, again, God's blessings are never about making our lives easier. They're never about making us more comfortable or helping us to feel better about ourselves. They may do those things. And, and it's great when they do, but that's not the purpose of God's blessings. God's blessings are meant to illuminate his glory, to conform us to his will, to lead us into his kingdom purposes for ourselves and for those around us. It's never about us. It's about God's glory. It's about who he is and what he is doing. What that means for you and me today, that God's blessing are for his glory. That means that our concept of what a blessing from God is may have to change. We've already said some of the things we don't see as blessings are God blessing us. Some of the blessings that we want maybe aren't blessings from God. But we have to understand that what God does in our lives when he blesses us is he makes great his glory. So maybe God's blessing in our life is like when he blessed Naaman with a skin disease, probably leprosy. And we see that like Naaman, maybe our pain is God's blessing to bring healing in our lives. If you remember the story of Naaman, he's a, a, a military commander of the nation of Aram, an enemy of Israel, and he has made many trips into Israel and defeated Israel. And he has in his house a, a servant girl who's a, a Jewish girl. And Naaman comes down with this skin disease and the servant girl goes, listen, I know who can heal that. There's a prophet in my country, a prophet of God. And so Naaman goes. Elisha doesn't even come to meet him. Just sends a servant out and says, hey, go wash in this dirty water over here. And Naaman's like, no, 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 you don't know who I am. You don't know how great I am. You don't know my power, my strength. So he starts walking away. But his servants convince him, no, just go wash. Go do what he said. And so he does, and God heals him. See, through his pain, through that, that skin disease, that suffering that he went through, God showed him what it meant to be humble before a powerful God. Maybe like Thomas, we suffer from some doubt that God is going to use to secure us in our faith. In John chapter 20, verse 28, God shows, Jesus shows up after the resurrection. Right? The other disciples have seen him and they're like, Thomas, we've seen Jesus. We've seen him. He's alive. Thomas is like, no, no, I saw him. I saw him crucified. I saw him laid in the tomb unless I, I touch his side, I touch his hands, unless I, I could physically grasp him. I'm not going to believe. And Jesus shows up. And what's Thomas' response? 
It's not to touch his side and to touch his hands. His response in John chapter 20, verse 28, it says, Thomas responded, my Lord and my God. That sounds like he's just worshiping like we would worship, but it's not. Because remember, through the disciples' whole walk, their whole three years with Jesus, they don't fully understand who he is. They miss it time and time and time again. And Thomas, after this moment of doubt, sees Jesus and says, whoa, whoa, you're not, you're not a prophet. You're not a Messiah like the Jewish people are looking for to bring some military victory. No, you are my Lord and my God. It is a proclamation that Jesus is exactly who he's been saying he is. His doubt led him to this steadfast faith. Maybe you're like Balaam and God's gonna use opposition as a blessing to protect you. If you don't remember the story of Balaam, it's one of the great stories of the Bible. They're all great stories in the Bible, let's be honest. But this one is, is incredible. In the book of Numbers chapter 22, Balaam is, is, is gonna go and, and prophesy. So he gets on his donkey and he starts riding. Right, and the donkey stops. Balaam beats the donkey. He gets back on the donkey, and the donkey like pushes him against the side of a cliff, smashing his leg. Balaam gets off, beats the donkey like three times. And then he's like, finally, he's like, what's going on? And the donkey starts talking to him. And then he talks back to the donkey without a second thought. Like, seriously, if you've never read this story, go study Numbers, <laughs> Numbers chapter 22. But, but as he's having this conversation with a donkey, I kid you not, he's having a conversation with a donkey. It says in verse 31 through 30, uh, verse 31 says, then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the path with a drawn sword in his hand. He said, the donkey saw me and turned away. He turned away from me at least three times. If she had not turned away from me, I would have killed you by now and let her live. All right, so this opposition to Balaam getting where he wanted to go served to protect him. Maybe like Paul, it's your, your captivity. Maybe you feel like you're just stranded at this point in your life and God's blessing of captivity may be his way of deploying you into action. And in Philippians 1, verse 12 and 13, it says, now, Paul, Paul writes, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ, right? He's imprisoned under house arrest with guards around him all the time. And you know what he does? He says, yeah, I can't go anywhere. Yeah, I can't get out of the house. But man, every one of these guards is gonna hear the gospel again and again and again and again and again. And they're gonna hear about Jesus and they're gonna know this forwards, backwards and inside out while I'm here. Because while I'm in captivity, I am deployed on the mission. See, God's blessings aren't always what we want them to be. In fact, for a lot of times we look at it and we're like, man, God's blessings are rarely what I wanted them to be. But God is working all things together for his glory. Because if we got everything we want, the world would be a messed up place. Because you and I are far from perfect. And our desires are often just about us. About what we want. About the people we love. The ones we care for. What we would like to see but we serve a God who created the heavens and the earth with the word from his mouth and loves his creation. 
and loves you and loves me in such a way that as he's seen us run our own way and try to get what we want and try to think that the blessing should be about us over and over and over again so that we have rejected him in favor of what we want to see. He has refused to leave us on our own and instead even sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born in Bethlehem, to live perfectly, to die sacrificially, to rise victoriously, to deliver us completely so that we can know the glory of a great and awesome God whose love, grace, and mercy is beyond all measure. And so that we can trust that if that God who gave up his own son for us, we can, we can trust that his blessings will be what is best in our lives. Is our perception of God's blessings a matter of our gain, our ease, our comfort? Or do we look at the blessings of God and see his glory? See, our God is a God of blessing and he loves to bless his children. And he blesses you and me constantly in more ways than we can even begin to imagine. And what's even better than that, there's no prerequisite for us being good enough to receive the blessing. But we remember, God's blessing is never about your righteousness or my righteousness. It's never about us being good enough to receive. Yes, we can act rebelliously or we can act obediently and put ourselves in position that, that hinder or, or help our receiving of God's blessings. But the blessing itself is not about us. It's about our good and holy God who chooses to bless at his discretion in his timing for his glory. Church family, may we know the richness and the fullness of God's blessing in fresh and exciting ways this week, in the days, the weeks, the months, the year ahead of us. That doesn't mean that everything will be the way we want it to be. It means that we will know that God provides everything we need in every situation to work to the glory of his great and awesome name. And may that confidence draw us deeper into grateful, passionate, and wholehearted service to the kingdom into which we have been named sons and daughters of the most high God. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the joy and the blessing we have of being your children. Father, as we think about your blessings today, may we remember that it's, it's never a matter of, of us being good enough, us earning your, your love, your acceptance. It is all about who you are, your discretion, your timing, your glory. And so, Father, as we prepare for whatever this week has in store for us, May we go ready to receive your blessings, to pour them out on others, not because they're what we want, but because we understand just how good and great and awesome you are. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. And in your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, 
please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.